Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Welcome back to Barry Motives. We're so excited that you're joining us today. Yes. Happy Halloween, everyone. Yes, we have been eating our Halloween candy and we are hyped up and ready to go. And we hope that you're having a wonderful time celebrating and scaring each other this season too. Absolutely. Spooky season is well upon us and I'm so happy to be in this season. It is the time of year that we put our hearts through its paces, scaring ourselves with scary decorations, venturing out into the dark to collect candy from strangers, and friendly pranks that make you want to scream out loud. (laughs) That's so true. Just the other day, my husband accidentally scared me. And he's like, now you know what your kids feel like when you scare them all the time. Yeah. If you have a friend like Christy, she's always pulling pranks. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And she's always making you watch horror movies that will get your heart beaten too. That's right. And we have our horror movie date planned, so stay tuned. Oh, I'm so looking forward to it. (laughs) I'll have to make a post of which horror movie I can talk Melissa into watching. If you remember in our last episode, I made her commit. Oh. But I think I have my mom to thank for all of this. She's the biggest prankster I know, and she loves things spooky and scary as well. (laughs) (laughs) So was that a childhood thing growing up for you then? Totally. Mm. It runs in the family. Well, for the family that we talk about today, their Halloween was filled with real horror. One that doesn't go away when you turn the TV off. Oh, that kind of horror I'm not interested in experiencing. But that is exactly what this family got. On Sunday, October 31st, 2010, 16-year-old Devin Griffin came home from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church after singing the choir to a quiet house. So he spent his Halloween at church to start out with. He did. He lived in the small town of Martin, Ohio with his mom, brother, and stepfather on a secluded acreage. The property was an oasis for the family that enjoyed hunting and fishing in the great outdoors. Nice. But isn't it funny how sometimes something so serene and secluded can turn into scary and secluded? It's so true. And Devin, following his usual routine on a Sunday after church, went straight to his room for a guilt-free afternoon of vegging and online gaming with his friends. He had done his duty of going to church, singing in the choir, and now he just wanted to relax. Well, Sunday is a day of rest. Mm -hmm. After a few hours, he ventured down to the kitchen to grab a snack And that's when he noticed that the house was quieter than usual. It wasn't uncommon for the house to be quiet in the morning. His brother Derek would sometimes sleep in. His dad Billy was usually up early but had been at a party the night before. And his mom Susan often worked the night shift. So the house being quiet in the morning wasn't a huge thing. But it was now past 1.30pm and his mom never slept this late. As he headed back upstairs, he noticed something that caught his eye in his parents' master bedroom. He found his mom and stepdad still in their bed with their maroon comforter pulled up over their heads. He walked around to his mom's side of the bed and nudged her foot that was sticking out from underneath the covers and called out to her. Oh no. When she didn't respond, he pulled down the covers. And you know when your brain tries to make sense of something in the most logical way that it can relate to something? Mm Mm-hmm. 
you make some assumptions based on reference points that are familiar to you, right? Yeah. You see books spread out on a table and assume somebody must be doing homework. You hear loud music coming from down the street and you assume the neighbors must be having a party. Yeah, of course. Our brains make those kind of connections all the time. Mm -hmm. For something that you would expect to be there. Yeah. When Devin pulled down the sheets that Halloween afternoon, what he saw made him think that his parents were playing a Halloween prank on him. Oh, no. There was so much blood. And they were so grotesquely still that to his brain, the only logical solution to the horror that laid out in front of him was that his parents were playing a prank on him. It was Halloween after all. Oh my goodness. That would be a bad prank. But he just thought his parents were trying to scare him. Well, and your brain's just trying to make sense of it Mm -hmm. because you don't want to believe what you're actually looking at. That's right. But as his eyes focused on his mother, he realized that it wasn't a prank after all. She had a gaping wound in her neck and large, dark clots of blood were forming. Oh. He ran from the house panicked and crying. I cannot even imagine that horror, discovering your parents that way. And just the eerie thought that they had been laying in those beds probably the whole time Mm -hmm. while you had been in your room playing video games and relaxing. Yep. And fixing yourself a snack and that you hadn't noticed. Oh. Devin called his Aunt Lori for help. She immediately came to his aid, and when she arrived at the home, she found her distraught nephew outside. She dialed 911 as she entered the home to help. She told the dispatcher, My nephew came home and there's blood everywhere. The 911 call is chilling as Lori Morris, Susan's sister-in-law, tries to calm her nephew enough to get information from him and then walks through the house herself and discovers the horrors that were displayed there. So while she's talking to the 911 operator, she's walking through the house. Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh, that would be chilling. Yeah. Amidst crying for the ambulance and the sheriff to come, Laurie identifies the main murder suspect. She tells the dispatcher, his son BJ was here last night. They were going to go hunting. They've had a lot of trouble with him, with the law, and he's threatened Susie before. Oh, man. BJ was Devin's stepbrother. Their parents, William E. Liskey Jr., or Billy as everyone called him, and Susan had met at their job at Waste Management, where Susan worked in the office and Billy was a front-end loader. Susan was divorced with two children, 13-year-old Derek and 6-year-old Devin at the time. Billy was a United States Air Force veteran with a son of his own. William, affectionately called BJ, was 15 when they met. Billy and Susan found common ground as they were both raising young boys and shared the love of being outdoors. They blended their families together in 2001 and eventually moved out to the parcel of land at 7054 State Route 2 in Martin, Ohio, into a cute two-story home with a one-story addition nestled among cornfields and ponds. While the land was idealistic, the blending of the family was not without its challenges, and this was particularly true when it came to BJ. He was often difficult to get along with and just seemed angry at the world. His troubles spilled over to school. When he wasn't ditching class altogether, he was often in trouble for bullying and fighting with other children. And this made getting along with his new stepbrothers very difficult. So he definitely has some anger issues going into this blended family. Mm -hmm. But the most contentious relationship was between BJ and his new stepmother, Susan. While everyone else saw Susan as having a big heart and being easy to get along with, BJ had a completely different opinion. So did his mom have animosity or a hard time towards Susan and he had kind of picked up on that and was being protective of his own mother? There wasn't a lot said about his relationship with his own mother. And from all reports, it sounded like he resided with his dad. Okay. So he's Mm -hmm. living with them full time. Yeah. 
And do you know how long after his parents had gotten divorced that they got together? I don't. Okay. But there is definitely some strife with that relationship. And I think you're on the right track of maybe he already had some issues with his own mom and maybe feeling abandoned by her or that his dad was moving on. Yeah. And kind of that resistance of you can't take the place of my mom, you know, trying to deal, especially at a young age at the beginning Mm -hmm. and his family unit changing as he had known it previously. And sometimes you just have to, as a child, look for someone to blame to make sense of it all. So it makes sense that he would focus that then on the new mom. Mm -hmm. And Susan did seem to be his target for that anger, even though it probably wasn't deserved. No. He didn't appreciate Susan's intrusion into his life and didn't take kindly to her interference and attempts to try and parent him. He would be openly disrespectful to Susan, and this would cause a lot of tension in the family between BJ and Susan, between Susan and Billy, Billy and BJ, and even between BJ and Susan's boys. Oh, totally. It would disrupt the whole house. Mm -hmm. It's not an uncommon scenario for blended families. We know that it can be really difficult to define those new rules, not only for blended families that are newly established, but even those that have been together for a long time. Between sibling rivalry and the loyalty bind, blended families can be very difficult to navigate. Yeah, I can only imagine. Mm -hmm. Even for non-blended families, when one person is struggling and lashing out, it can make it hard on the whole family. That is so true. But this animosity went a little further than the normal rebellious child's attitude towards a step-parent. Frequently, police were called. Oh, wow. The situation in the home was even more exaggerated by BJ's use of alcohol and pot and his emerging mental health issues. Oh, wait. And how old was he? 16. 16 and doing alcohol and marijuana. Mm -hmm. Yikes. That's a little young. Yeah. But I think it's pretty common for people with his mental health issues. And we'll get into those as we go through the case. Okay. In 2002, the police were called to the Liskey home because BJ threatened to hurt himself. He and Billy were having a difficult time in the relationship because of his attitudes and behaviors. BJ was currently serving a sentence of house arrest for misdemeanor charges. Billy had become so concerned about the statements and the threats that he was making about harming himself that he called the police. When the police arrived, BJ violently attacked the police officers. Oh my! Mm -hmm. And this resulted in him acquiring even more charges. Yeah, that's a huge red flag when a 16-year-old boy is not too afraid to assault a police officer mm-hmm. who carries tasers and guns and and billy sticks it's so true though that he just had no respect for any type of authority that's scary two years after that in october 2004 bj was again taken into custody after striking susan in the chest with a coffee cup during an argument he then stole her keys and took off in her vehicle he was charged with a felonious assault and robbery it was the second time that he had struck her There are reports that around this same time, Billy had kicked BJ out of the house because he'd attacked Susan in the shower. In the shower? Mm Mm-hmm. I was unable to find any charges filed for that offense, but it was cited by friends and family as being the reason why the 18-year-old was not, at that time, living at home, and tensions were very high between BJ and Susan. No kidding. My mind just went to the horror movie Psycho. (laughs) Everyone knows about the shower scene in there. Oh, that would be so awful. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a place where you would least expect anybody coming in on you. Right. Have you ever walked into a bathroom, though, and checked behind the shower curtain just to make sure no one's there? (laughs) Uh, I purposely don't have shower curtains. (laughs) It's all glass. I can see through it all. (laughs) But it would be such a vulnerable position to be in. Oh, yeah. Naked Mm -hmm. in the shower. It's noisy, so not all of your senses are working the same way that they should because you wouldn't hear him coming. No. 
And it was really upsetting for her. And as a result, it sounds like Billy had been upset and kicked BJ out of the house. Yeah. But can you really blame him at this point if he's physically attacking his wife and then now attacking her in the shower? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so true. So was there any kind of sexual motive for that or it was just to attack her when she wasn't going to be expecting it? I think that sexual motive does play a part in this case. Ooh. But it's never actually confirmed. Oh. Yeah. But I think that there was some sexual motivation for these attacks to happen. Okay. At least it's building, possibly. Mm -hmm. So the charges for the October 2004 incident, where he hit her with the coffee cup, were eventually dropped because BJ was found incompetent to stand trial. Oh. The state of his mental health was deteriorating, and he was having unsettling delusions about the world around him. During his incarceration, he had been evaluated and diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. Schizoaffective disorder is a mental health disorder that is marked by a combination of schizophrenia symptoms, such as hallucinations and delusions, and has the addition of mood disorder symptoms, such as depression or mania. Oh, that would be really challenging to deal with all that combined. Mm -hmm. For Billy and the rest of the family, though, this was an explanation of why BJ's behavior was so erratic. His depressive and manic states were more than just BJ's dislike for Susan and his new stepbrothers. And the family was hopeful that with the right treatment, that BJ's violent tendencies could be controlled and the family could actually start getting along. Yeah, I could see that they would be hopeful to at least know what they're dealing with at that point in time. Because mm -hmm. up until now, they just thought he was being a dirtbag. Yeah. BJ was hospitalized for treatment and when taking medication was a different person. In February 2006, Billy applied for guardianship over his now adult son. With guardianship, Billy was hopeful that BJ would be able to function outside of the hospital setting. For guardianship, Billy made the argument that he recognized that BJ still required ongoing support and help and for someone to ensure that he was taking his medication, but felt that a halfway home was a better environment for his son than the hospital setting. Billy at this time had recognized the sad but common pattern of BJ taking medication and doing well, and then because of his success, he would come to the conclusion that he must not need medication anymore because he was better. Once the medication use would stop, BJ would start drinking and using pot again, which would aggravate his symptoms and the cycle would continue. And this struggle for medication compliance is real. It's been reported that of patients in treatment, roughly 50% take less than 70% of their prescribed doses. Oh, that's a huge amount. Mm -hmm. But you can see how that would be a vicious cycle. They're taking the medications. They're thinking, oh, I'm feeling great. I don't need this anymore. Mm -hmm. And then once you're off of it, it's hard to get back on. And believe again that you actually do need to take them. Right. There's actually lots of contributing factors to why they don't take their medication. Often these individuals have poor insight to how their illness actually affects their lives. They just don't make the connections between their erratic behavior and their failing relationships with those around them. Right. And they can justify it by blaming their feelings on the circumstance around them. Mm -hmm. And because of the side effects that come from taking the medications, they often have a negative attitude just in general towards taking medications. True. Couple all that with substance abuse that often occurs and the disorganization that comes along with a schizoaffective disorder, it's a recipe for a disastrous cycle that just keeps repeating. And so when he was on the medication, was he doing well? Like things were good? He did really well when he was on the medication. Okay. And this is what Billy wanted to avoid. Yeah. So he felt that once BJ was released from the hospital, that if they just released him to his own means, that 
he would just continue to go through the cycle again and again. And so he actually applied for guardianship over his adult son so that he could then mandate that he had to live in a halfway home. And in the halfway home, they would make sure that he was having to take his medications. Right. Or at least there would be a better chance that he would receive the treatment that he needed to have. Right. Or he would be at least monitored. So if he's needing extra help, it can be provided. That's right. That's what Billy was after. When BJ was released from the hospital, he moved to the halfway home in Sandusky, Ohio, about 50 minutes from his family's home in Martin. Unfortunately, it wasn't a fix-all to ensure that BJ did take his medications. And BJ would revisit the cycle of starting and stopping his medications many times. When he was off his medication, he was violent. He raged against his family during visits when he was at the house and against other residents and staff when he was at the halfway house. Oh, I bet they knew the moment he walked in the house if he was on his meds or not. Yeah, maybe they could have. But he's not off his medications to be difficult or be spiteful. There's actually a pattern that leads to them not taking their medication. And there's lots of things that are built right into their disorder that make it difficult to remember to take their medication, to continue to take their medication. There's often a disorganized pattern with schizophrenia. Yeah, for sure. And Mm -hmm. if there's adverse side effects that they don't enjoy, that could contribute to them not wanting to take it either, especially when they're feeling good, thinking, well, these drugs are what's making me feel bad. Yeah. And obviously, I'm functioning fine. My relationships are going really well right now. And so why would I take these drugs that I don't need if they're giving me all these adverse effects Mm -hmm. and making me feel really awful? Yeah, that would be challenging to be in that situation. Mm -hmm. And challenging for the family too, because despite his on-again, off-again relationship with his medication regime, BJ continued to visit his family at their rural home in Ottawa County over the next four years. And as a parent, I think that you would just continually have hope that this time was going to be different. Like each time that he came home, that you would be hoping that he was on his medications and that things were going to go well. And that if you told him that he wasn't allowed to come home, it would almost feel like giving up on him. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Such a struggle for the family as well. Oh, yeah. In the spring of 2010, police again were called to the property because BJ was once again off his medications and there was an altercation on the property. While out at the pole barn, BJ had started to yell and push his father around and then had taken off. Billy wasn't calling the police to get his son in trouble. He was just concerned because he was now responsible for this 24-year-old that was neither at his property or at the halfway house. Right, because he's his guardian still. Mm -hmm. And he's displaying all this erratic behavior and he's afraid of what he's going to do. And now he's a bigger threat than he was as a teenage boy. Mm Mm-hmm. It wasn't uncommon for Susan or Billy to have to call friends and neighbors for support when BJ was acting up and physical altercations broke out during his visits. Billy would frequently call on his friend Mark Grudel to come over during BJ's visits when things would start to escalate. Mark found BJ's behavior disturbing and alarmingly violent. He was even suspicious that BJ had been the one responsible for the deaths of several neighborhood pets. Ooh, his own dog had been shot twice with a 22 caliber gun. That would be so tough to be friends with someone when you think their son killed your dog. Mm -hmm. But Mark just stuck around Billy trying to tell him over and over again that he really felt that somehow they needed to protect themselves from BJ. But Billy always remained adamant that he didn't really feel that BJ would ever do anything to really harm the family. And so he just continually tried to fix his relationship with his son. And sometimes it's hard to see when you're right in it. Because you love your son, you're trying not to give up on him or lose that hope or faith that things can be better. And I think too, just like Devin at the very beginning, 
his mind jumped to the conclusion that it was a Halloween prank. I think for Billy, for his mind to make that connection between his son being actually violent enough or disturbed enough to really hurt somebody, he just couldn't make that connection in his brain. It wasn't a logical jump for him. Yeah, and you can't really blame him. No parent would want to believe that about their child. It's a difficult jump for anybody to make. Yeah. Of not even just your child, but of anybody you even know. Right. And it's always easier when you're the bystander on the outside of the family looking in to see those red flags. Yeah. And Billy just was not seeing them, even though his friend Mark was. And so Mark was expressing to him that he was concerned that BJ was going to harm them. Yeah. He was trying to tell him that you guys need to take some action to be protected against him when he comes to visit. Oh, And I just can't even imagine then how Mark would feel after when all of this actually happened. Yeah. During the last week in October 2010, Billy was trying again to help integrate BJ back into the family. He took him deer hunting at the family's hunting retreat in Carroll County, about three hours away from their home. Billy was an avid hunter, and spending some time at the hunting cabin alone with BJ, without the other family members, was his kind of way to avoid triggers and to work on their relationship. They returned home Saturday, October 30th for a Halloween get-together with friends and celebrated over beers. So this is the party that you mentioned that the dad was at the night before. Mm -hmm. Around midnight that night, the last of all the guests left. Only family members remained at the house, minus Devin. He had gone to his dad's house the night before because he really didn't feel comfortable being around BJ when he was at the house. Billy had been drinking and he chose to have BJ stay the night instead of driving him back to his house in Sandusky. So it wasn't common for BJ to actually stay the night at their house. But Billy was trying to be responsible and not drive drunk. Mm -hmm. So they made up a bed for him on the living room sofa, one that was still there the next morning when the police entered the home after receiving the 911 call. And it's just so sad because he was trying to do the right thing. Mm Mm-hmm. He had spent this week trying to connect with his son and build a positive relationship. And it sounds like from everybody at the party that things were going well, like everybody was getting along. Hmm. And so there was no huge red flags that he was actually off his medication. Right. And he wasn't triggered that whole time that, that they were at the retreat and then at the party. No, he wasn't. By all accounts from everybody there, everybody was getting along at the party. Hmm. When police entered the home on Halloween day, it was like the scene from a horror movie. They found Billy and Susan in their upstairs bedroom, covered with their maroon comforter. Blood saturated the bed and the pillows. Billy was laying in a natural sleeping position and had been shot in the head five times from close range. Whoa, five times? Mm -hmm. Police estimated that BJ was standing less than two feet away when he shot his dad. So he just walked right up to him while he was sleeping and open fired. Mm -hmm. There appeared to be no struggle on Billy's side of the bed. BJ had snuck into the room and crept up to his father while he slept and then ruthlessly shot him while looking down on him. Probably killing him instantly. Mm -hmm. Susan's body had clearly been manipulated after she died. She too had been shot from close range three times. There was also evidence that she had been sexually assaulted. While it was unclear what horrors had preceded her final breath, it appeared that she had woken up when her husband had been shot and tried to get away. Can you imagine waking up to that? No, not at all. But it was also unclear if the sexual assault had taken place prior to or after her death. Oh no. Just so disturbing. And that's why when you asked about, well, are these attacks kind of sexually motivated? This is why I think that they were. 
later on, they actually use these increasing sexual attacks to guess that this was all premeditated. That is just so crazy. I can't imagine what she went through those last moments of her life. Because, you know, when you're woken from a dead sleep, it takes you a minute just to even get your bearings. She would have just been so disoriented to wake up to that and have, like we said, your brain has to register what you're seeing, what's actually happening. Yeah. And then if she was sexually assaulted by her stepson, I just cannot even imagine. So was there lots of signs of a struggle with her? Like, did she have bruising and defensive wounds to suggest he sexually assaulted her before killing her? Because it happened so close to the time of her death, they couldn't distinguish the timing of the sexual assault. But there were marks on her body and the way her body was arranged in the bed, they knew that she had been moved there. Right. Both Billy and Susan had been shot with a small caliber gun similar to a twenty-two. Oh. Which is what the neighbor thought his dog had been shot with. Yeah. As police searched the rest of the home, they found Derek's bedroom door locked. After kicking in the door, they made the grisly discovery of the 23-year-old's battered and beaten body in bed. (gasps) No. He was found in a fetal position facing the wall and had been hit several times on the head with a claw hammer. No. You know how I feel about hammer beatings. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. The coroner would later speculate that the first blow that was delivered was likely fatal But BJ had continued to strike his stepbrother's lifeless body again and again. He just had so much rage in him. Mm -hmm. In Devin's scramble to get out of the house after discovering his parents, he hadn't noticed that his brother was also missing. Derek, 23 at the time of his death, was a track star and an avid sailor who enjoyed adventuring on Lake Erie in the early morning hours. But that was all ended by BJ's rage. What a dirtbag. Derek had his whole life ahead of him. 23, you're still a baby. Yeah. He was just another child in this blended relationship. He was at no fault. He didn't make the decision for his parents to get together. No. And so I can see the rage taken out on his parents if BJ's whole motivation for this crime was because his dad, by marrying his stepmom, had ruined his life. But Derek didn't have any say in it either. Right. But Derek would have been guilty by association if he had all this resentment against Susan. He probably looked at her relationship with her own sons in maybe a jealous way or, look, she does favor them more than me. She treats them better than me. Mm-hmm. And that would be what would probably cause a lot of that friction between him and his stepbrothers. Absolutely. I think that Derek's murder just points out how lucky Devin was that he actually chose to go to his father's house that night. Yeah. And those boys might have been sticking up for their mom as well. And then he probably didn't appreciate that backlash every time that he had attacked Susan or was giving her a hard time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's evident in Devin's decision not to be around BJ. Yeah. There is animosity between them for sure. But gee, what a dirtbag thing to do. Mm -hmm. And what a little weasel. He's doing it in the middle of the night while they're sleeping. So they're totally defenseless. And because the first blow was the fatal one. Yeah, he couldn't even fight. Not at all. Police interrogated Devin at the scene, asking him to provide any details that he could about who could have possibly committed these murders. Devin told police that he had returned home after spending the night with his father around 9.30 a.m. to get a change of clothes before going to church. At that time, the house had been quiet except for BJ, who he had passed in his five-minute dash to get out the door before he was late. (gasps) BJ was still there when he went home? Mm Mm-hmm. That is so chilling to think about later. And why didn't BJ attack him? Was he not covered in blood? Like, I just, that's blowing my mind. Yeah, I don't even think Devin registered 
what BJ had on or anything like that. Well, and they had been at a Halloween party the night before. So if there was blood on his clothes, he might have just thought that was from a costume or something. Yeah, I don't think it registered with him at all. You know, when you're not expecting to see something, it just doesn't register. He was totally focused on getting changed. He had five minutes and then he needed to get to church. He was singing in the choir that morning and he didn't want to be late. Right. He was just in a rush. Mm -hmm. And so it just totally did not register to him at all. Oh, and that just breaks my heart. He's at church singing in the choir while his parents are laying in their bed. And his brother. Yeah. While Devin didn't remember exactly what had been said between him and his stepbrother, he remembered that BJ asked him what he was doing and asked how long he would be gone for. And so I wonder if he was thinking about, oh, do I wait around for Devin to get back? Huh. That's interesting. Because if he was wanting to kill Devin, why wouldn't he have just pounced right then? he caught him just in passing so I doubt he had his gun on him right or maybe he was wanting to make sure he was out of the home before he returned yeah maybe Devin remembered that BJ was unusually upbeat though during this interaction oh get out Mm -hmm. this stuck out to him because BJ was usually a gloomy type of guy at the time though he didn't really suspect anything was wrong so he didn't check on his family members before leaving the house and why would he yeah there was no reason to suspect anything No. And like you said, it would not be unusual for them to be sleeping still at 930 in the morning on a Sunday. Not at all. With further investigation and questioning of neighbors, police found multiple guns and the claw hammer at the house and learned that gunshots had been heard by a neighbor around 630 a.m., long before Devin had ever made it home. The last time that Derek had been in contact with anyone was at 2 a.m. in the morning. From the autopsy report, it was believed that Derek had been bludgeoned to death prior to his parents being shot. Okay, so there's this 23-year-old man who's living in the house sleeping. So maybe he was collateral damage. Because if Derek had heard the gunshots or screams from his mom, he would have come to their aid. And then he would have had to fight off Derek. So maybe he was getting rid of that threat before he was able to reach his actual targets. Exactly. It shows forethought into his actions. Yeah, so I wonder if Derek was a main target or was, like I said, collateral damage. And just needed to be taken care of so that he could get at his parents. Mm-hmm. With the disappearance of the family's Ford F-150, police narrowed in their search on the family's hunting cabin near Skio in eastern Ohio. Around 5.30 p.m. on All Hallows Eve, Deputy Michael Baelish spotted the truck at the family's hunting cabin and approached the residence with his gun drawn, expecting a showdown. Instead, BJ just casually sauntered out of the brown single-story cabin and leaned against a porch post smoking a cigarette. He was taken into custody at gunpoint, and at that time, he still had body fluids on him from his family members. (gasps) He didn't even bother to clean up. No. Ew. So that's why I think that BJ and Devin's meeting in the morning was just this chance kind of quick pass by in the hall. Yeah. Where Devin didn't really register what was going on with BJ. Yeah. And how eerie for that officer to pull up to the cabin. So BJ's not even really hiding because he's going to the family cabin, which is a place that they would definitely go look. That's not even that far away from the house. No. And for him to just wander out so nonchalantly smoking a cigarette Mm -hmm. that's what I have written he was totally nonchalant and completely unconcerned about this officer or the fact that he had just committed a brutal Halloween family massacre oh it's giving me Charles Starkweather vibes actually yeah 
And just to emphasize how unconcerned he was with just killing his family, he had stopped at a subway on the way to the cabin. And when the deputy had pulled up, he had interrupted BJ's supper and he actually never got to eat his sub. Good. (laughs) That just blows my mind when that kind of thing happens. And how would you want to eat your sub with pieces of your family stuck on you? It did not register with him. Oh my goodness. So had he gone into a completely delusional state? Well, we'll get into that. And the people at Subway, with it being Halloween, they wouldn't have thought anything weird with him coming in with blood on himself. Nope. He's just there in costume. Yeah, because normally that would be a huge red flag, right? You might call that in. This man just came in covered in blood. Mm-hmm. But not on Halloween. Nope. On November 1st, William B. Liskey was charged with the murder of just his father as police continued to gather more evidence. Their belief was that the murders were premeditated, but they needed more time to prove that. And so they knew that one murder was enough to hold him. And so originally he was just charged with just his father's murder. They wanted to make sure they got it right. Mm -hmm. Eight days later, six counts of aggravated murder were laid against BJ. Two counts for each of his victims. His dad, William E. Liskey, 53 at the time. His stepmom, Susan, 46. And his stepbrother, Derek, 23. Aggravated murder is equivalent in Ohio to first-degree murder. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. BJ originally pleaded not guilty, and his competency to stand trial was challenged by his public defender. When the initial assessment from November 15, 2010 found him competent, the defense pursued a second psychological evaluation because they're like, nope, there's no way he is competent to stand trial. This second assessment was carried out by an independent facility, Twin Valley Behavioral Healthcare. The second assessment was kept under seal and delivered to the court on March 16, 2011, where it was revealed that the second assessment ruled BJ competent to stand trial as well. Oh, wow. And how dramatic. It's sealed and sent to the court, which it should be, so it can't be tampered with. Yeah. But this was super shocking to a lot of people because BJ in the past had been declared not competent. Well, not competent enough to be able to have his father stand as his guardian. Mm -hmm. But the ruling was made because while in custody and with direct supervision to enforce taking his medication, his reasoning was clear enough to understand the court proceedings. Right, because now he would be on his medication by force. Mm -hmm. Which just shows you how different his personality can be on medication. According to Ohio state law and adjudicated competency, the trial court should find a defendant incompetent to stand trial only if there is evidence that shows because the defendant's present mental condition, the defendant is incapable of understanding the nature and objective of the proceedings against the defendant or of assisting in the defendant's defense. Which makes sense. So it's basically, is he of sound enough mind to understand the court proceedings? Mm -hmm. which it sounds like he is. It's not saying that he was of sound mind when he committed the murders. That's right. It is completely independent of the defense of not guilty by reason of insanity. That makes sense to me. But I do find this just so sad because Billy had been right all along. If BJ had just remained on his medication, he could be a functioning and contributing member to society instead of the dirtbag that he was when he committed these heinous crimes. Yeah. But also at 24, if you know what you're like when you're not taking your medications, you do have that responsibility to take it. Right. But remember, part of his mental disorder causes him not to fully appreciate what happens with his mental disorder. Yeah, it's a tricky situation for Mm -hmm. sure. 
With the evidence stacked against him and the death penalty on the table, BJ chose to bargain instead of continuing to trial on August 12th. There was really damning evidence against him, which included a sexual assault report that Susan had filed against him just a month before the murders. Oh, he totally did assault her then. Mm -hmm. His escalating assault on Susan indicated that the murders had an element of premeditation to them. Yeah, it sounds like it. And your assessment of why Derek was murdered first then, too, just tells me he had planned to carry out the murders. His lawyer never even made the attempt to plead insanity. They proved premeditation so that it wasn't just this instant fit of rage that spurred this on. Mm -hmm. He had planned it. And because he had been so calm during his interactions with his family the week before on his hunting trip, they couldn't really reliably say that he wasn't on his medication when he committed the murders. Oh, And because he had fled the scene and the authorities considered his retreat to the hunting cabin as hiding, they felt that he was not insane at the time of the murders. But I think that there were several other things that pointed to him being in a manic state. But then being in a manic state doesn't necessarily mean you can't appreciate right from wrong. And there were no other witnesses. So BJ's state of mind can't truly be guessed because of just the evidence left behind. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I honestly don't think him going to the cabin was hiding. No, I don't think so either. But that's how they viewed it. And so because they were viewing it as hiding, that was just evidence that he was aware of what he did was wrong. Yeah, and I think he was probably aware of what he did was wrong. You think so? Because I think that him walking around in clothing that had his family's bodily fluids on it. Stopping at Subway. Yeah, coming out of the cabin all nonchalant when the police officer had his gun drawn on him. Those are all things that kind of indicate to me that he was manic and not understanding the situation that he was in. That's true. Because that is odd behaviors for after committing a murder. Yeah. He was rather super cold and calculated and didn't care at all about what he had just done. Right. Or he could have been in this disassociated or manic state. Where it just was not registering with him. Right. But because nobody was with him at the time, there wasn't any evidence to confirm one way or the other. And by what you're saying, it doesn't sound like it was really explored that much in the court proceedings either. No, because he chose to plea bargain. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Huh. The courts accepted guilty pleas on three of the accounts of aggravated murder. The other three charges that involved aggravated murder in relation to the rape and kidnapping were dropped. As part of the plea bargain. Mm Mm-hmm. Ugh. I'm assuming the reason why he really didn't want to have those rape charges is because rapists do not fare well in prison. Yeah, I'm not even really sure he would have the forethought within his mental capacity to even think that far. I don't know. But he was willing to cop to murder. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it was, to be honest. Or maybe they knew that there was too much evidence to get him off of the murder charges and we'll just try to get whatever smaller charges dropped. Yeah, maybe. William J. Liskey was sentenced to three concurrent life sentences without the possibility of parole on September 14, 2011. So he was serving those life sentences at the same time. What? Mm -hmm. Those should have been consecutively, one after the other. Nope. Yeah, that's not good. Because he's young. He would then be probably in his 40s when he gets out. If he doesn't get out earlier than that on parole. Well, he didn't have any eligibility for parole. Okay. At the sentencing hearing, BJ flatly told family and friends, I love my dad very much, and it makes me feel sick every time I think about what I did. I can't really explain why all this happened, but I think most of it has to do with my mental illness. 
His defense lawyer blamed the lack of medication for his no mental illnesses and the alcohol that had been provided for him in the hours before the gruesome Halloween murder. So not really taking any responsibility. No. The fact that BJ could not provide any concrete reason why he had turned on his family that night haunts his family members still. During the victim impact statements, Billy's sister addressed the confusion that they felt of his actions. She spoke directly to her nephew saying, We just don't understand how something like this could happen. You see stuff like this on TV and think it will never happen to your family. You love someone so much and then they take something away from you. I just don't know how you could do it when he loved you so much. Oh, so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And it apparently haunted BJ as well. BJ was incarcerated at Ross Correctional Institution in Chillicothe, Ohio, And less than four years later, he was found dead at 11.25 p.m. on March 31st in his cell from a self-inflicted wound. At the age of 29, BJ had received treatment for his mental illness while incarcerated, but could not escape the guilt of murdering his family. I can't even imagine living with something like that. Especially when there's mental health issues involved. But maybe, you know, like when we're little kids and we have to go sit in our room and think about it for a while. Maybe it was that time that it really hit him, the gravity of what he had done. Mm -hmm. And he did have depressive tendencies and he had in the past tried to commit suicide. Right. So he had that history. Mm -hmm. It just makes it more sad all around. Yeah. Because you don't want to negate how serious mental health issues can be. But at the same time, you don't want to excuse his actions for the brutalness that he displayed. No, not at all. It's a fine line. Yeah. And that is the tragic case of the disturbed and rage-filled dirtbag, William J. Liskey. Oh, how sad. And poor Devin, his whole family wiped out in one swoop. And that wasn't the end of that family's tragedy. The next day after the murders... Billy's sister was actually killed in a fire. What? Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, that's too much tragedy for one family. The whole family was just devastated by everything that was happening. Wow. I couldn't imagine being Billy's mother. Her husband had passed away just prior to this, and then she loses her son in this horrific way at the hands of her grandson, and then her daughter died in a fire the next day. Oh man. That poor woman. It's so sad all around. Yeah, that's life-changing trauma. Mm -hmm. That really is a heartbreaking case. Because you can feel for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. And I can't help but identify with the parents and how much you would want to help your child, but at the same time protect other family members and just that continually wanting to reestablish a relationship and not just write them off. And unfortunately, it actually opened the family up to being vulnerable to the threat that he was. For sure. And it sounds like they had tried to exhibit some tough love. But of course, as a parent, you would never want to turn your back completely on your child and give up on them. Or that you would even think that your child was capable of doing something like this. No, never. You would never think that. And unfortunately for BJ, it's so sad that he then killed himself later on because he couldn't live with what he had done. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting that he never pled guilty by reason of insanity or that with his well-documented history of mental health, that he wasn't sent to a mental health facility instead of jail. I was thinking that, that maybe a mental health facility would have been the safer place for him. Mm -hmm. Especially when viewed in hindsight and he did commit suicide. Yeah, true. Well, thanks for bringing us that case. It was super sad and 
a very disturbing Halloween tale. I do hope that our listeners will have a safe and happy Halloween. Yes. Go get your spook on, eat lots of candy. And don't forget to check out our contest on our social media pages. Absolutely. Christine Engel has partnered with us to give away a fabulous on-the-run belt bag on Halloween. And if you haven't seen these bags, they are super trendy. All the kids are wearing them. (laughs) (laughs) They're actually super cute and you can use them multiple different ways. So we have picked one out to give to one of our wonderful listeners. And we have also thrown a few extra little freebies in there as well. So make sure you go and enter that contest. Yeah. And go check out Christine's socials. We'll have those linked on our social medias as well. So your homework before we come back with you next week is to go to our social media pages. And Melissa's homework is to watch a scary movie with me. Oh, man. But until then, see ya. Bye. we better test again. Am I louder than you, Christy? Not usually. Mm-hmm. How does little old me have such a boisterous voice? <laughs> PJ. So many times I got the wrong searches that come up when I was searching for his name. <laughs> Sorry. I was trying to be really mature and hold that in. <laughs> I call him BJ the whole time too. <laughs> Every time I want to laugh. <laughs> I can see her eyes sparkle. <laughs> Oh, dear. You're testing me on this one. (laughs) He was often difficult to get along with and just seemed angry at the world. Because his name was BJ. (laughs) (laughs) Bully sticks. Or what are they called? Not bully sticks. Billy. Oh, Billy. Yeah. (laughs) Bully sticks. Bully sticks. Is that not like a bull penis? (laughs) Because BJ's on my mind. (laughs) (laughs) When the initial set... When the initial set... Not settlement. Why do I... It says assessment. Why am I trying to say settlement? (laughs) When the initials... (laughs) Just say settlement a few times. Get it out of your... Settlement, settlement, (laughs) settlement. Nope. I'm not not falling for it. (laughs) Do you want to receive it? Because you snapped. Oh, sorry. (laughs) You said just this chance. (laughs) It looked really cool how you were saying it, but... (laughs) I just wanted to emphasize my point with a snap. Sorry, you're going to have to cut so much out. It's okay. I'm going to have lots of bloopers. That is okay. But you're going to make me sound like a pervert. <laughs> I'm not making you sound like anything. Okay, I got to stop. Okay, grown-up Christy, activate. Right. <laughs> okay, how am I going to rein that back in? Sorry. Hey, we're live, pal, and we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. 
Jeff Woods and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.